Hello and welcome to Tea Time Theology. Our guest today is Father Bill Locke from St. Stephen's in Providence. Hello. Hello, Ivy. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. Um, We're so excited to have you on the podcast. And we are talking about um, the bumper sticker, You Were Born for Such a Time as This. So my first question is, what do you think about the phrase bumper sticker Bible? Well, it makes me suspicious, I guess, Um, because my first reaction is uh, a bumper sticker can't really contain everything that needs to be said, Mm. and so it's going to fall short, which sort of the nature of bumper stickers, I know, is to be brief and Mm. concise, but I think uh, especially around questions of faith, that um, our lives of faith are rich enough, full enough complex enough, nuanced enough that a bumper sticker worth of something just can't really say what needs to be said. Yeah. And I think this is a really good example of that because like when you look at the larger quote that this comes from, it's like not even a real direct quote (laughs) of the Bible. Um, Gotta get to BibleGateway.com so I can get what the real quote is. Because I do love all the weird, like, URLs (laughs) for these, like, BibleGateway.com. And the larger quote that this comes from is Esther 4.14, which is, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So can you just, like, give us some context of what is happening to Esther at this point in time, for those of us who don't know Esther as well? Yeah, which I think is probably most people, because (laughs) um, it's not a well-known book of the Bible, I suspect, and, and... uh, full disclosure, I went back to read it again and do a little research. Um, I also quickly looked at the prayer book, and uh, I think it's true that we never hear from the book of Esther on Sundays, for example. Really? It's, it's never one of the readings. So if folks are mostly getting mm-hmm. their exposure to the Bible from Sunday worship, they're not going to hear about the book of Esther. Um, but it's, it's a very cool story in many ways. Um, one of only two books in the Bible that never actually mentions God. Oh. So God does not appear in the book of Esther, uh, along with the Song of Songs, which is a love poem. So, mm. uh, and an interesting one at that. So here's Esther um, in Persia, mm-hmm. 400 years or so before Jesus. Uh, she is Jewish. She's been raised by her cousin, Mordecai. And she ends up becoming the queen mm-hmm. of Persia involved story that 
takes too much time. But she becomes queen, does not reveal that she's Jewish at Mordecai's suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, Mordecai runs afoul of the king's right-hand man, Haman, who becomes mm-hmm. the, the villain in the story. And uh, because Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman, who thinks he's very important. And he does so, Haman comes to understand, because he's Jewish. So Haman decides not only to get rid of Mordecai, I'll get rid of all the Jews in mm-hmm. Persia. And gets the king to issue an edict that all the Jews will be killed uh, on a certain day. And the day is chosen by casting lots, rolling dice or mm-hmm. drawing straws or something, to come up with a date. The word for lot in the story is pur, mm. P-U-R. Uh, which becomes an important part of the story. So um, an edict goes out, all the Jews are going to be killed this certain day. Mordecai is is uh, terrified and is wearing sackcloth and ashes. Word finally gets to Esther. She contacts him. He says, you have to go to the king and stop this. Mm-hmm. Save the people. And Esther says, if I do that, I'll be killed. Because the law is if you go to the king without being invited, mm-hmm. you get killed. Uh, except in the rare instance where the king grants an audience. But basically, if I try that, I'll be killed. Can't do it. And then Mordecai comes in with the verse that you just read. Um, Perhaps it is for this moment, this time, that you've come to the kingdom. At which point Esther kind of takes over and says, all right, everybody should fast for three days. I will go to the king even if I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the king, and it becomes a very then a very interesting and convoluted story of uh, Amon thinks he's going Haman thinks he's going to get rid of Mordecai, and uh, gets maneuvered into a position where Haman ends up being killed instead of Mordecai, and mm-hmm. the people are saved, and and they proclaim a festival which they call Purim, which is the plural of Pur, lots, as the festival of the lots, mm-hmm. um, to be held on the day when all the Jews were supposed to have been killed. Mm-hmm. And so it's a day of celebration, it's a day of remembering the story of Esther, it's a day of, uh, of jokes because the tables were turned on Haman, the joke was yeah. on him, he ended up being killed on the very gallows he had built to kill Mordecai. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, this, it's a great story of a strong, powerful woman saving the people. Mm. Um, as I say, all without God ever actually getting mentioned in the course of the story. How, how did it get into the Bible ah, then if right. there is no God in it. <laughs> well, I think it's because the understanding is that even though God isn't mentioned, God is at work mm-hmm. in all of this. God is behind what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very reminiscent of uh, part of what appears in the prophet Isaiah, mm-hmm. which also involves Persia, interestingly enough. Uh, when the people of Israel have been taken into captivity in Babylon, this Mm -hmm. awful time of the exile. And uh, that lasts for a while. And then the Persian Empire takes over. They beat the Babylonians. They're going to take over. And it's the Persian policy to let people who have been taken captive go back home. Mm -hmm. And so the Jews who have been taken captive into Babylon are now going to be able to go back and rebuild the temple Mm -hmm. and get back to the promised land. And Isaiah sees all of that, and he sees not just that empires are changing, not just that there's a new king, but that God is at work in this. God's doing this. And in the course of, of, the, of the book of Isaiah, there are times where God says to Cyrus, you don't know my name, you don't know who I am, but I'm working through you. Mm. So I think the same thing is going on in Esther, that even though we don't hear about God, 
uh, Mordecai and especially Esther uh, are being used by God. Mm. And that's, so that's why you're here, Esther, and probably mm. enough as the queen of Persia. Yeah. Why do you think this story isn't in the lectionary? Not that you wrote the lectionary, but um, <laughs> if, if you were to rewrite it, would you add it and where? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's, um, I'd be tempted to add it just because we don't have enough stories about women. Mm. I mean, they're, they're not enough in the Bible in general, and then there's fewer that actually make it into mm-hmm. the readings that we have on a Sunday. So yeah. to be able to hear again about a woman who is, has saved the people uh, would be good. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's not there because it doesn't mention God, mm. and maybe it's not immediately apparent what the connection is. But yeah. I think you can, take, you can take that verse, I think, and if, if you kind of peel it apart... Mm-hmm. You you can get to God in yeah. that, um, and it says something about our lives, I think. So definitely. So let's start peeling it apart. Okay. Um, what is your initial reaction when you hear the Bible version, which is like your royal position for such a time as this? So it's not you personally; it's the position that you hold versus the sort of colloquial version we've created of you were born for such a time like this. I don't know that I see a whole lot of difference. I Mm -hmm. think it just looks at, you know, here's where you are in your life. Mm. Why are you there? Mm. And how might that be something that affects other people? Mm. I suppose that's kind of the first level of, if we want to try to sort of peel back the edges of it, um, the part of what it says is your life has a meaning to it. Mm. Your life has an importance attached to it. And your life is more than just you and mm. your own happiness, your own um, what you get yourself out of life. But it has a connection to others. Mm. And so you're here for a purpose. There's something you can do. It raises the question then, where does the purpose come from? And I think that's where you begin to get a sense of, you know, God is somehow mm. behind all of this somehow. Where does, you, you, you can look at that, I suppose, without any particular sense of faith and just yeah. say, your life is here, but it matters and you can affect other people and that's a good thing to do. Um, but I think there's the other dimension and that's why it's probably there in the Bible that um, that meaning comes from God. And you're serving mm-hmm. God and you're living out your life with God by making that connection. How can I be connected with others? How can I yeah. serve others? Because there's a lot of moments in the Bible of the right person at the right place mm-hmm. at the right time that like maybe they wouldn't have normally been there in their normal day today, but they just happened to be there right. at that moment. Which is interesting to think of then how do we create those moments and how do we end up in those moments by just sort of living our lives how we normally would right and being if we're approaching our lives with a sense that i have something to give then maybe we're a little more open to you know where am i in this particular moment what might i have to give Mm -hmm. in this setting as opposed to i'm just concentrated on myself and Mm -hmm. being happy and getting through life so it kind of opens things up a bit that says, you know, there's a connection there. 
So people still look back at the story of Esther and, and see in that a kind of uh, encouragement and a warrant for being engaged in working for justice and mm -hmm. overcoming oppression in all kinds of ways, mm -hmm. as Esther becomes a great example of that. Yeah. And if you were to peel it back more, what, what would we find in that deeper layer? Because you're right, that does feel very surfacey layer reading mm -hmm. of that phrase yeah so i think it begins with our lives can have meaning um as i was thinking about it I, I think that we have something to give we have something to offer and and i think in the life of the church we talk often about ministry mm. about mission about everybody has gifts mm -hmm. everybody's called to be engaged in ministry because of our baptisms, we kind of throw all these terms out and talk about it. And I've, I've done that for almost 30 years. <laughs> um, we're not as good about really getting concrete about what does that mean? How do you live mm. that out? And I think often we end up thinking, um, you have a ministry, you have gifts, and that gets used within the life of the church. You know, mm. So everybody has a ministry, everybody has gifts. And so do you want to teach Sunday school? <laughs> do you want to be on the vestry? Do you want to you know, serve at the altar? It's always within the, the four walls of the church. When mm. in fact, I think part of what Esther shows us, um, and the reality is we live out our lives, most people do, mostly not within the walls of the church. Mm -hmm. And it's in that daily life, it's in at work or at school or with our families in the communities, that's where we're called to find what our gifts are. Mm. That's where we can make an impact and have a difference. Mm. And do you think part of that is taking the gifts and talents that you have in church and bringing it mm. out as well? I do. I think church can be a place, if we're, if we're doing it right, that identifies gifts. Mm -hmm. um, and we and we do that for one another. Often we don't know ourselves and see ourselves of having a particular gift or ability, and someone yeah. else can say, you know, you're really good at whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, and so it can be identified there, it can be supported there, it can become part of our prayer or worship, uh, and then, you know, every at least every celebration of the Eucharist ends with the deacon, if there's a deacon, there should be, saying, go. Mm -hmm. right? Go live out this faith. And so we take it then outside the church and yeah. put it to use. I feel like you've kind of just, in a very succinct way, described like the discernment process mm -hmm. <laughs> of like doing that as well. And I do think there is something interesting about the discernment process in the Episcopal Church. I don't know about other churches, mm -hmm. but specifically in the Episcopal Church where you've like gathered this committee together almost to right. sort of tell you what your gifts are and like yes there's a lot of it that like involves internal reflection and like figuring out your own life and stuff but a real key of that is having these people around you to sort of lift you up and be like yes this is where we see you or like mm -hmm. this is what we see as your gifts which i think is really interesting to like sort of see that paralleled in this story as well right and it it, it underlies the fact that those gifts and those uh, that ministry is always 
as part of the life of the community. It's not mm -hmm. just our own thing that yeah. we discover on our own and proclaim on our own. So mm -hmm. you don't get just, at least in the Episcopal Church, you don't just get to show up and say, God wants me to be a priest yeah. or a deacon or a bishop, and, mm -hmm. and so I'm going to do it. You know, this It can be very frustrating sometimes mm -hmm. to have the rest of the church involved in that, but yes. that's because we're not doing this alone. No, no silos, uh, right. at least not here. Right. Um, one reading of this that I, I had heard of and read while doing research was this idea that Esther was in a very like self-centered and selfish place when she originally said, like, no, I can't just go do that. Mm. Um, and I don't know if I fully agreed with that reading. And I was just wondering, like, what do you take of Esther's original no? Yeah, I've seen that too. I did a, I did some some background stuff mm -hmm. just trying to get ready for this conversation since I didn't know Esther all that well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that is the take that you see that you know she was selfish and just doing her own thing. It seems perfectly practical and reasonable to me. <laughs> Same. Mean, as a first reaction, I mean, because that's just the way it was. If you showed yeah. up to the king, you got killed. Mm -hmm. And so what good does that do anybody? Mm. You know, if I can go to him and then he'll kill me. And so yeah. that doesn't help. Um, yeah, I guess I wouldn't hold that too much against Esther, especially uh -huh. with her ability to take the next step Yeah. and say, all right, I'll do it. Like taking that other viewpoint and be like, you know what, might as well try, Right. which is hard. No, I feel like a lot of times people have that initial no to <laughs> things. I know I've just said no to things as well that I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And as soon as someone's like, but maybe we should. Right. And then that second, like, all right, yes. Because I, I don't think there's anything inherently bad at your initial reaction being a no. It certainly is really human. I mean, if mm -hmm. you look at the stories in the Bible of people who God calls, virtually everybody starts off saying, oh, no, not me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you got the wrong person. You know, Jeremiah says, I'm just a kid. I'm too young. Moses says, I don't speak very well. You should find mm -hmm. somebody else. Everybody's got a reason. Yeah. Jonah so. had to go into a whale oh, yeah. to, to yeah. get a yes out of him. Yeah. At least she got, <laughs> I think Esther got the better end of that deal. True, true. Yeah. The other thing I see in Esther's story is the sense that if our lives have meaning, if we have something to give, all those things that we've sort of talked about already, very often, maybe most often, uh, that's going to happen where we are, mm. as opposed to having to go somewhere else. Mm. Um, and I think often when we think about our lives of faith and opening ourselves up to God and really letting God into our lives, the fear is that's just going to turn my life upside down mm. and just blast everything apart. And I think we have to be fair and say that that might be the case. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that happens. And we can certainly think of people in Scripture, people in the history of the church, the saints, um, to whom that has happened. And St. Paul merrily going along persecuting the church and suddenly he's blinded and knocked down and his life yeah. is turned upside down. Um, St. Francis, you know, rich young man living the life and then takes off all his clothes literally and dumps them and says, I'm going to live, embrace a life of poverty. So, so some people are called to that, but 
a lot of folks, maybe most of us, I think, are called where we are mm. to then live out our life of faith. And so, it's, so for Esther, it's maybe this is why you're here, not pick up and go somewhere else to be faithful, but where you are in your situation. It's like a really interesting way of thinking about it because like one phrase I always heard a lot growing up was like, you can't be a prophet in your hometown. Mm -hmm. And that like one of the main reasons that Jesus had to like go on that journey because he like travels quite a bit before he ends up um, is that he wouldn't be able to do what he needed to in his hometown. So I think it, it's interesting to think about the two together and that Esther needed to be where she is versus mm-hmm. someone like Jesus. Or even if you think of all of his disciples, they all like had to go forth. And, and then it also is interesting to think of what stories get told more. I feel like mm-hmm. in the lectionary or like mm-hmm. in my normal <laughs> stories, I would know more from the bible it would be ones where someone has said go go off and do this and there's very few times where they're like stay right here and do the thing um which is interesting that those are not because they are in the bible we did another episode at one point of or might not i might have just been reading it about ruth and her whole thing is that she Mm -hmm. wants to stay right as well and it's interesting that the two that come to mind about staying are the two female yeah, yeah. characters. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's that very familiar story probably of Jesus encounters this man who's possessed by many demons. Mm-hmm. And he casts the demons into a herd of pigs. Mm-hmm. And they go charging off the cliff and die and all that. And the people from the village come out and say, please go away. We don't want you here anymore. And, but the man who's been healed and set free from being possessed says to Jesus, I want to go with you. I'll follow mm-hmm. you. And Jesus says, no, stay here. Mm-hmm. Stay where you are and tell people the good news here. Mm-hmm. So, so there are those moments. You know, those yeah. Mary and Martha, who we meet mm-hmm. a couple of times, uh, and their brother Lazarus, uh, they have their home. They, that's where they're, they minister to Jesus there. So. Mm-hmm. More dramatic, I suppose, to have somebody drop their nets and walk off and yes. leave everything. But So for such a time as this, I think is an interesting concept hmm. because that kind of brings into the idea like this divine destiny as well. Um, that like you are here for this moment. Um and do you think there is sort of any merit to this, like, divine destiny that we all have? Or Yeah, I guess I wouldn't have initially thought of it as divine destiny. That's an interesting thought. Um, I think we're all we're called to be faithful. Mm. Um, and that's something we're always called to do. And so here we are in this world, and there's, there's always opportunities... To find a way to be faithful, you know. You know, Jesus asks his disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" And that's not a once and for all answer. Mm. You know, to come up with it once, and then we're done, and we go off to something else. I think yeah. that's that's in many ways just because life comes to us. That's a question that comes over and over and over. Who do you say that I am? You know, this this disappointment comes in your life. Who do you say that I am? You know, 
you're at work and somebody tells a racist joke. Who do you say that I am? How do you respond? So we have this constant opportunity to to be faithful mm. in the moment. It may not be a hugely dramatic moment. It may not be yeah. saving the people. Yes. But um, we're still called. I like that because I, when I initially read this, I thought it was like a very overwhelming thing to put on mm. anyone. Yeah. Because I'm like, I can't. There, there is no position in my life, well, at least not yet, where I can become like the queen of Persia and stop a mass execution mm. in that specific context. And I think that's not just the hard thing about like this story, but I think in a lot of stories, it's very hard to figure out how those relate to sort of like the small day-to-day executions we stop in certain ways. Which might not be the right right way to put it, but it is sort of an overwhelming idea that this is like what you are made for. Yeah, and I think that's we're more often called just to the day to day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't all get called to do incredibly dramatic things, but you know, I think of the story, and maybe it's a somewhat corny one. It pops up in sermons often of. There's been a storm and and uh, at a beach and there's all these starfish mm-hmm. washed up onto the beach and there's this little kid picking them up and throwing them back in mm-hmm. to the ocean and somebody comes walking down and watches for a bit and goes to him and says, why are you bothering to do this? It doesn't make any difference. There's thousands of starfish. And the kid throws one more back in and says, it made a difference to that one. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's the little things mm-hmm. that we do and not just the hugely dramatic moments. And those add up to the yeah. dramatic moment. And they add up because we're not doing it alone. Mm. So it's it rarely falls, I think, to one person to somehow make all the difference. It's it's a community. Looking at the larger context, what do you think of the part, or this is the part that I was kind of confused in, for relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Mm. Yeah, that's somewhat confusing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of the things I was reading suggested that, um, and I'm not sure quite how you turn it around given the, the language, but um, that's what's being suggested somehow is just the opposite of that. that you're not going to get saved. It's not going to come from anywhere else. It's got to mm. come from you. Um, which may not be helpful because that's not actually what it says. Um, <laughs> but, you know, scripture interpreters can do all kinds of interesting things with stuff. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what that means beyond um, the, it's up to you. Mm. You know, you're in the position. You can do it. Does it sort of imply that everything will eventually be okay? but you might not be. Because hmm. that's sort of what I was seeing in that the deliverance of the Jews will come. Sort of that idea that this is going to happen hmm. either way, but you won't be here to see it. It's kind of the vibe I got. But I don't know. I might read too many fantasy books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's always that confidence that the God is going to be faithful. Mm. Faithful to the covenant. Because that's part of... That's essentially the story of Scripture is 
and we just heard it this past Sunday. Um, whenever this actually comes out, it won't be the past Sunday. That's but, okay. Uh, in real life, the past Sunday, we heard uh, the story of Abram and God coming to Abram and saying, leave your homeland, go where I lead you, and I'll mm. bless the whole world through you. I'll make a great nation. And uh, in many ways, the rest of the story is God being faithful to that promise, mm. even though most people, most everybody else in the story isn't. They all go charging off in the wrong direction. But, mm. but God is faithful to it. So there's that hope and promise, I think. Mm. And that... That is such a huge part of what, like, Sundays are about, is that sort of faithfulness and, like, repetitive Hmm. motion, which is so interesting to think about in, like, the larger context of, like, what, back to, like, that idea of what stories are the ones that are told, and it is the ones of faithfulness and that, sorry, I don't know. You're like the second person that's talked about the lectionary. So now I'm like, I want to do a whole deep dive on how those are picked. (laughs) Because how is the lectionary picked? Not to go off topic, Hmm. but genuinely. Well, it's a mixture of things. I mean, the the lectionaries go back to like the third or the fourth century Mm -hmm. um, and actually have their roots. I I think this is true in, in synagogue worship, that there were within Jewish worship, there were just sets of readings that you would mm-hmm. use at certain times of the year because of festivals that were coming up and feast days and that. So in some ways, it goes back a very long time. The current lectionary is fairly new with a three-year cycle and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. So uh, it's a mixture of some of the very traditional lessons that have been read you know, on that Sunday for the last thousand years or more mm-hmm. and other things. I mean, there's literally a committee that got together and yes. put it all together. So That's all the best things in the Episcopal Church, Episcopal Church are committees. <laughs> yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> there's also the phrase, you know, God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. Oh, <laughs> I haven't heard <laughs> that is a bumper sticker I would buy. Yeah, that's I, true. That's, <laughs> that's usually my last question of if you were to create a bumper sticker, mm. what would it be? But I, I really like that one. Um, going back to Esther and when she goes before the king, it very quickly jumps to when the king saw Esther in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. There isn't very long that we're hanging in this suspense of will the king be okay with her? And it was such a fear for her that she was, like, going to walk into this throne room and immediately be hmm. put to death. Do you think there's something in that as well, that that fear that she had is so quickly brushed aside in the story, or is it just, like, that's the story? Yeah, I'm inclined to say it's the story, mm-hmm. the getting on to the important stuff. Yeah. Um, the little intrigue with the dinners they have and, and all of that. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I suppose we can see in that how we so easily build things up in our own minds that are just going to be overwhelming and terrible. And then it turns out it wasn't all that bad after all, once we finally stepped up and did it, whatever it is. Mm. But yeah, I think, I think the probably they just want to get on with the story. What do you think of this idea of sacrifice? Because I think that is something that comes up. And in this story... 
Esther was willing to sacrifice her life. And what do you think that means for us in what we need to be willing to sacrifice to fulfill God's opportunities for us? I think part of what it suggests is that there's more to our lives than just um, the immediate moment. Mm -hmm. There's more to our lives than just our own personal experience. Yeah. Um, and it sort of comes back to that, you know, for this time, this is why you hear that there's a larger purpose and, and pattern um, that can even include sacrifice, giving of ourselves, which we can do, I think, because, and if we think literally of sacrifice, of potentially dying for following through on, on what we feel we should be doing, uh, because we understand in faith that's not the end of the story. Hmm. So, you know, death is death is not the end. And so it's easy to say sitting at a table in a comfortable library, but <laughs> it <laughs> is. death is not, you know, not the end of the story. And so we can dare to approach it and be willing to embrace it somehow. Hmm. Is the story ever run, read, sorry, not run, read at um, burial services? It's not part of the suggested readings, no. When is it suggested? When are we supposed to read this? <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't. I did not look at um, the daily office lectionary and morning prayer, evening mm. prayer. That would have been a real deep dive. And, um, <laughs> and I'm just trying to remember if I've ever read Esther in the course of that. I think it would have to come up as just part of our own reading of scripture on our own as opposed to mm -hmm. things the church provides for us in any given moment which is probably why we should just be reading the bible and true in general and not just the lessons that are assigned yes i did not realize that it skipped books but i mean like i guess i realized that because i've never heard like numbers on a sunday or i don't know you're about to pull out like the exact yeah. week on the lectionary, <laughs> no, the numbers. No, it, it is in there. I know that, but I know what you mean. It's, yeah. The, the, we certainly favor. Less. I realized I was I was literally skimming over the lectionary, just looking to see if Esther appeared. And Isaiah is there a whole lot of time. Mm. So we hear a lot from the prophet Isaiah. We do. So. Definitely. Then I will pose you with the question mm. of if you were to create a bumper sticker, <clears throat> what would you? create I think I would go to the first letter of John mm -hmm. there are three letters of John plus the gospel in the New Testament the first letter of John which includes the line we love because God first loved us mm -hmm. and I, th I think I would pick that um, and again, not so much because you can just read that and then you're done and, and that's the end of it. But I, th I think it's another one you can begin just to pull apart mm -hmm. and look at and uh, to say, on the one hand, we're called to love. Mm -hmm. that's, that is to be part of our lives. So we love. Um, God loved us, uh, which we say easily, I think, but you stop and think about it and to say that God the creator of all things, the Lord of the universe, God who is God, 
loves you, loves me. It's a pretty astonishing thing to claim and to say. Uh, and not just in a grand sense of God loves all of humanity, but you know, God loves Ivy. <laughs> God loves Bill. Um, that's an amazing thing to claim. So, so we're called to love. God loves us. And, and we love because God loved us. Uh, the mm-hmm. beginning point is God's love. It's not that we're amazing and we're able to love. We do it because God loved us. And that's the source of, of everything. So it, I think that can be pulled apart with some, some profit for ourselves. Yes. And do you think this is a good bumper sticker or just regular sticker phrase? You were born for such a time as this. If it, if it causes us to think, mm. you know, I mean, I think that that's my concern about bumper stickers is, is if we stop with the bumper sticker, then I'm not sure where that gets us. If, if it prompts thought in uh, connection, you know, I mean, one of the things I realized that comes back into my sermons frequently, I hope not too frequently, <laughs> uh, is the, the idea that we always read scripture in the light of scripture. What does that mean? Which means, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Yes. <laughs> that, um, that we don't get stuck in thinking any one verse, any one chapter, any one lesson on a Sunday morning somehow says everything. Mm. But we take that particular piece of scripture and then hold it up against all the rest of what scripture says mm. and compare and contrast and see mm. how, does, what is, how does that fit in with this over here and, and sort of play with it all. And so... Um, so one thing doesn't just stand on its own and somehow have to bear the entire weight of, of mm. everything that God wants us to know, everything we're supposed to be as God's people. So, so if a bumper sticker stops at the bumper sticker, then you don't get very far. If that then causes us to stop to think and say, well, okay, you know, we love, that's important, God loves, we mm-hmm. love because God loved us. Then we can just begin to make, how does God love us? Where do we see that in Scripture? Jesus, the cross, mm-hmm. other people, you know. So if, if it inspires us and calls us deeper into it, then then it's, there's a value to it, I think. Mm. Yeah. I think that bringing back the idea of love is the most important one, especially like um, love one another as I have mm. so loved you, it mm. comes up a lot. It's a short, That's true. Yeah. It does. It really comes. It's like he's trying to make a point or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, is there any anything we've missed? Anything that you want to make sure we touch on? I hoped we would, and we did sort of get the larger story of Esther out because mm. I think that's that's important to do. Um, I know I kind of cast it as, you know, the story of a strong, courageous woman, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other pieces to the story, you know, the opening part about how Esther ends up becoming the queen mm-hmm. uh, is because the previous queen was disobedient mm-hmm. to the king, and that was just terrible and can't be allowed. Yes. And, the, and the basic notion was, well, all the other wives in the kingdom are going to start being disobedient if this mm-hmm. stands. So, you know, so that's not terribly helpful. Um and, you know, the conclusion of the story is, is the, the people are saved, um, but for whatever reason, 
the king just can't reverse the edict that says everybody's supposed to be killed. Mm-hmm. And so there's a second edict that says that the Jewish community can defend itself. Mm-hmm. And so they're empowered to basically kill all the people who are going to kill them. But wouldn't that Which, include the king? Well, no, because he's the king. So, okay, that's yeah. fair, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> he's to protect himself. <laughs> yeah, he can yeah, protect himself. He was sort of insulated from it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's not a terribly helpful ending in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's some of the nature of scripture. Is it's not always neat and tidy, mm-hmm. unfortunately. No, definitely. And do you, do you think it's interesting that in the Jewish faith, Esther... I assume has a larger role because of Purim and that's like one of their holy days. Um, and that that's not as highlighted in the Christian faith. Yeah, it certainly is not a big deal with, within Christianity. I think mm. I, I'm, I assume it's more important. It is kept. I don't know that it's a major festival, but it's still mm. certainly kept. Um, within Judaism, mm. which you can understand, I mean, that that's been part of the history of Judaism. Unfortunately, is having to withstand people's mm. attempts to exterminate the people. So. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. If people wanted to connect with you, how would they do that? Uh, well, shameless plug, I do the. F- Friday noon service here at St. Stephen's. Mm-hmm. So if folks wanted to come by at that time, if they're available, uh, literally at noon, noonday prayer, and then uh, a short Eucharist following that. Um, my email is uh, fatherbill, frbill, at cox.net. Awesome. I'd be happy to receive emails and respond. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us well, today. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Ivy Swinsky and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Moa Conde and David Hines for our music. Our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley, as well as our guests today. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.